uh, one week removed from the big uh, ice storm last week, and then we get hit with a snowstorm this week. That's just crazy. And uh, exactly, and we're just not going to let that happen, are we? Come on. That's right. We're, di- we're we dug out, and now we're digging in. Amen. Come on. Well, we're, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit last fall, and we talked with uh, last fall about all the Romans 12 gifts, the gifts that are from the Father, wired into our DNA. They're about who we are, how we live, how we operate, and we did surveys and all the rest of it. That information, we put it together, and uh, we've already been starting to extrapolate from that, getting people doing different things according to how they are wired. Well, now we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit again, but now we're talking about that different set, the ones in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 the controversial gifts. You know, nobody has a a difficulty with the Romans 12 gifts. They are just pretty straightforward, you know. Uh, But when you get into 1 Corinthians 12, well, this is where, you know, you get whole denominations created, churches splitting and all kinds of stuff. All the awesome, cool stuff that you read about happens right here. And, uh, but this is also where, you know, we, we lose something in Scripture if we write it off. We lose something of our expression of faith if we just walk away from what the Scripture's telling us and teaching us. And so this is exciting stuff. For me, this is exciting. I'm looking forward uh, to taking this journey with you. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, how the Holy Spirit now dwells. Uh, there's the difference between God's presence being everywhere, right? God is omnipresent. Everybody knows that? And, and the Hebrew children understood that God was omnipresent. They understood that God was everywhere. But they also had a tent of uh, a tabernacle and then uh, a temple that they built for God to dwell. Now, why is that? Because they understood that God was not only omnipresent, but he was also, he was also manifest present. That he dwelled in, 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 and came into and intersected with time and space and showed up in miraculous demonstrations of his glory. As he led the children of Israel in a, in a, in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. As his Holy Spirit came down and, and dwelt in the tabernacle. And then Solomon it talks about how the Holy Spirit came down and filled the temple. Right? And then we fast forward to the day of Pentecost when the same thing happened. And what happened there was that God was demonstrating that he was no longer going to dwell in a building. He was no longer going to dwell in a, in a tabernacle. He was going to dwell in a building made not by human hands but by the Spirit of God. He was going to dwell within us. And just as God is still everywhere, he's also manifest in our lives. His presence is in us and through us and working in us. And that, that is... is, is Uh, the demonstration of God's glory that he can be everywhere and in me at the same time. Everybody see that? And so we have an advantage. I imagine many times you've read stories in the Old Testament. You know, the children of Israel, they have miraculous intervention by God. He does miracle after miracle, leads them out of Egypt, and they, they wander around in, 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 in you know, the desert for a while. They get at, at the bottom of the mountain, and they're sitting there, and Moses is gone for, for a few days, and all of a sudden, they go into pagan worship. Did you ever you notice that? And then Aaron, Moses' brother, he says, you know, bring me your gold, and, and, and I'll, make a, I'll make an idol for you to worship. After all that God has done, you think, how could they be so brain dead? Come on, you thought that when you've read the scripture, haven't you? How could they be such dingbats? And, uh, and, and yet you have to understand that not one person in that story, from the, from the craziest individual right to Moses himself, ever experienced God the way you get the privilege of experiencing him today 
because he lives within us. Are you hearing me this morning? That we have a privilege as uh, New Testament believers through what Christ did on the cross, and, and that we also have an opportunity of the manifestation and the power of the Holy Spirit to work through us that nobody in the Old Testament ever experienced. But it's yours today. Yours today. So why would you want to turn your back on that? Amen? So we had a, a, a verse that's been our verse. I want you to repeat this with me this morning. We started last fall with it. First uh, Peter 4.10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now we talked last uh, fall about the gifts of Romans. I believe that God also gives us gifts uh, from 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going we're gonna to wade into that uh, today. And so I told you uh, last two weeks ago, that I was going to talk last Sunday, but it got canceled due to the weather, uh, about why I was not a cessationist. And I, then I did that little thing on Facebook. Uh, some people were like, man, I thought you were going to do the whole message on Facebook. I was so disappointed. It was only five or ten minutes long. And, uh, you know, I've, I've never done Facebook Live before, just so you know, uh, with fear and trepidation. Uh, you know, not because I was nervous about talking, but I was nervous about the technology and how to make it work. Uh, but Amanda, when you didn't realize, as I'm talking to the computer, Amanda was standing right there beside me working the thing for me, making sure I did it right. And uh, so she got me going. But then, uh, you know, um, after it was over, I think there was like 50 people watched it live. But as of, I think, uh, Friday night, was it we are at Mark and Rhonda's? Monday night? Monday night? Yeah, as of Monday night, just the next day. That's right, Monday night. Man, the week just goes like that. As of Monday night, I think 520 people have viewed it. Like, that's, that was crazy. You know, uh, I said, I said, that's just nuts. Well, that's 520 devices. So then you have other people watching it together like many people did. So we're like, well, that's pretty cool. So now I'm thinking, hmm, hmm, hmm. Is that, is that just an indicator we're on the right path to start live streaming the services and stuff? Yes, it is. And so we're excited about it. That's one of the things you'll hear about next Sunday in our Kingdom Builders presentation that we're talking about is uh, getting Desert Stream up and live streaming this year. So we're, we're looking forward to it. But it really got my brain going last week, let me tell you. All right. So I am going to follow, uh, follow true to that today. Today I want to talk to you about why I'm not a cessationist. Now I told you to look the word up if you didn't know what it was. And uh, at prayer, uh, at uh, our monthly prayer meeting on the Tuesday night, uh, Tom DeHaan came up and he said, I just want you to know, he said, I looked it up, I'm not a cessationist, I got it. So he goes, I'm with you. So uh, today that's where I'm going to talk about why Pastor Kevin is not a cessationist. Why I'm not a cessationist. Father, I ask for your help today as we look to your word. Lord, uh, we're not... This is about experience, this is about Holy Spirit, this isn't about big words, but Father, as we understand the nature of what's being said this morning, I pray you'd peel back the veil of, of misunderstanding, and Father, you'd peel away the veil of darkness, and you'd illuminate our spirits by the power of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, what's a cessationist? Well, here's a simple definition. Uh, in Christianity, cessationism is a Protestant theological position that spiritual gifts, such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, and healing, ceased with the apostolic age. All right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, you say, oh, really? There's people that think that way. Yeah, lots of people that think that way. They believe that, that God gave the Holy Spirit to the church and to the uh, apostles to get the church established 
and that, that there were miracles, there were all kinds of manifestations of his spirit that happened in the first century. But after the church was established, the work of the spirit was completed and it was no longer needed. All right? And so that is essentially what cessationism is. And, uh, you know, when it comes to discussing the topic of why I'm not a cessationist, well, we have to understand where it came from before we can understand what our own personal position is about it. So where did cessationism come from? Well, uh, many never heard the term before, and uh, you're not likely ever been exposed to it if this is your only church experience because we're not cessationists, right? So you, you would not have had any, uh, heard any teaching or preaching from that perspective. Um, your perspective is going to be that God is at work and he's doing things just like the scripture says. Um, but uh, where did it come from? Well, it came from the Reformation. The Reformation. Now, you've probably heard lots of, the, of things said about the Reformation. And uh, you know what? There's a lot of good things happened in the Reformation. A lot of good things. So if you think I'm here to, you know, uh, and my thing is all about, you know, poo-pooing on the Reformation. That's not it. All right? Uh, what happened in the Reformation? Well, there was a renewed value placed on Scripture in the Reformation. You have to remember the Catholic Church was the dominant force of Christianity until the Reformation in the 1500s. And what happened is that, is that everything was experienced through the church. And there was not, uh, the, the word was not something that there was any emphasis on. It was instead upon church doctrine and upon church uh, uh, practices and upon, you know, all of the different ordinances within the church. And so the sacraments, and so there was a fresh, renewed value placed on Scripture. There was a fresh revelation of grace. The phrase sola gratia came out of that, Latin for grace alone. The idea that we're not saved by works, we're not saved by the church, we're not saved by any of those things. We are saved by the grace of God. That was one of the fruits of the Reformation, and it was awesome. It was awesome what it restored to the church. Uh, also, there was a rejection of the Catholic Church as the path of salvation. So the idea here is that the Reformation rejected that the church was the vehicle of salvation and said, no, it's Jesus is the vehicle of salvation, right? We're not saved through a church. We're saved through Christ. We're not saved through the sacraments and the ordinances of a church. We're saved through the sacrifice and the grace of, of God through Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, lastly, the Reformation was the rejection of the Pope as head over the whole church. So until then, the Catholic Church had established itself, at least in the West, uh, and the, as the, 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 the power and the vehicle of salvation, and the head of that was the Pope. And so the Pope had this incredible power to be able to change history. And I, I've had some, I, I'm a lover of history. How many are lovers of history here? So I have a fascinating book in my library. It's The Correspondences of Pope Gregory IV. And, and this, this book is full of letters where he wrote to kings, and you see how he was the most dominant political person in all of Europe, and how he manipulated nations by threatening to excommunicate them from the church. It was incredible. It's fascinating. And it's his letters to all these kings and stuff, and he's right in there just running the, all of Europe as a... Uh, as basically a, a religious dictator. It was incredible. And he had everybody underneath his thumb and underneath his power. Well, the Reformation saw that there was not some person, some individual who was over the church. Jesus Christ is the head 
over the church. And it was a rejection of the papacy as well. And, uh, and, and you have to understand that most Catholics don't even know this, but in Catholic doctrine, the Pope can speak and it's equal with Scripture. Right? When the Pope is sitting in what they call the mercy seat, his seat of authority in, in Rome, and he speaks, he speaks what they call ex cathedra, and he speaks with power and authority equal to Scripture. So when he, uh, you know, dictates doctrine or anything from that place, it's not that they believe every word that comes out of his mouth is equal to Scripture, but when he's speaking in the authority and office of the church, it's equal with Scripture. And so we obviously don't uh, embrace that, and neither did those of the Reformation. They rejected that. They said, no, there's no individual who speaks with an authority equal to Scripture. That doesn't mean that people can't have a revelation or a word or share something that is complementary to Scripture that is from God. But it was never equal to Scripture. Does everybody understand the difference? So if, if Barry says, I, I believe I've got a word from the Lord, and he shares a word from the Lord, and it's encouraging, and it's building up, and it's blessing the body, and it's, it's complementary to Scripture, yeah. it will never contradict Scripture, and it never replaces Scripture. Amen. Amen. Right. Are you hearing me? But God still speaks. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Yeah. All right, so you understand good things out of the Reformation. Everybody say good things. All right, now let's look at some of the bad. The bad. The high value of Scripture took away the belief in extra-biblical experience. So what ended up happening as those who, John Calvin and those who, who established the doctrine and, and, and foundations of the church out of the uh, Reformation had such a high value on Scripture, such a high value on, on the written Word of God, that they, they began to reject any kind of extra-biblical experience. So if you said that you had an experience that the Lord spoke to you or that this happened, they said, no, God only speaks through His Word. God only does this through His Word. God doesn't do extra-biblical things, things that are outside of the Scripture. And they began to reject the idea that God would do anything uh, outside of Scripture. The Reformation was influenced by the Renaissance as well, which happened at a similar time. And they were, they were intertwined together. As spiritual enlightenment came, so did uh, uh, scientific enlightenment and understanding. And one of the byproducts of the Renaissance was a walk away from mystic belief. And the Renaissance went toward science and toward logic, etc., well, the Reformationists did the same thing. They began to move away from the mystical elements of faith, and they began to instead uh, be influenced by this appeal to reason that was there in the Renaissance. And so they felt they basically preached a gospel that was reasonable, rational, but was not necessarily uh, supernatural or was to be experienced in any kind of spiritual, mystical way. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? And finally, the Bible, everybody hear this, because we get guilty of this sometimes in, in charismatic circles as well. The Bible became so venerated, so worshipped, so adored, that it became a substitute for experiencing God. Ouch. I believe that this is the Logos of God. And I don't believe this just contains the Word of God. I believe that it is the Word of God. Right? However, everybody say however. however. This is not all God. This is not all that there is to God. 
This Bible does not, cannot possibly contain everything that God would love to express to his people. It's impossible. Even the scripture alludes to that when Luke said, if all the things that Jesus himself did when he was on earth written down, he said there would not be enough books to contain them. That was an admission by the gospel writer that the, the, that the gospel that he himself penned was a limited, everybody say limited, limited, limited expression of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. It's a perfect expression in that there is no error, there is no uh, lie, there is no deception, there is no untruth, there is nothing written that is not fact. So it's a perfect but an incomplete revelation. Does everybody understand that? So, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us if it's incomplete? Well, it leaves us that the Bible, even though... It, 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 it is an expression of God, a living expression. The Logos, the living word of God, is not all God. God is bigger than his scripture, and God still speaks. Someone say amen. amen. But when God speaks, here's what we believe. God still speaks, but God, when he speaks today, what is spoken today through prophets or even in your own prayer life, needs to be measured by the perfect revelation, right? So if God's telling you, you feel God speaking to you, and he's telling you to do something that's contrary to the scripture, then it's the pizza you had the last night before, not God. Even though I love pizza. I, I think pizza takes a bad rap on these kinds of statements, but you know what I'm saying. It's not God. God is not going to ask you to do something that his scripture is, is not in favor of or disagrees with. Does everybody understand that? And when God speaks to us today, speaks encouragement, speaks words of, of, of direction to our life, etc., it is always supported by and backed up by the Scripture. Everybody follow me? This is really important. Really, really important. Because if we, we get this mixed up, then we get in a lot of trouble. That's how cults get formed. Hello? The word is a, a perfect revelation, but it's a limited revelation. Prophecy can be unlimited. God can speak in unlimited ways today through prophecy, prayer, revelation. But it's imperfect because it's coming through the vehicle of, of human expression, which everybody in this room knows we're not perfect. And where God had an anointing and God breathed upon the scriptures and he had an anointing resting on its authors so that it was without error, that same anointing and that same principle is not applicable to modern day prophecy. Human error can get in there. So it needs to be judged by what? By the word. I'm getting ahead of myself, but does everybody understand the distinction? Okay. So we understand that the Reformation is what created cessationism. You see, the reformers, especially John Calvin, were concerned because one of the, the things that the Catholic Church had done to support themselves and prop up their power was they pointed towards miracles. And they, if, How many have ever been to any of the big cathedrals like St. Anne de Beaupre or uh, uh, any of these big ones, right? Have you ever seen their relics rooms, right, where they've got rooms where they've got, they've got yeah, wheelchairs and crutches all attached to a pillar or they've got 
the remains of a former saint in a, in a box or whatever. And they, and, and they, would, they would end up appealing to people uh, and, and claiming to people that, that there was something resting on these relics or that miracles had happened, and this was the evidence of it. And so the reformers, in rejecting that uh, in the, as, as a part of the authority or the tools that the Catholic Church used to wield authority over everybody, rejected the miraculous period. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Now, before we get, I'll, I'll cling up, I'll just finish up talking about cessationism here this morning. So here we go. Degrees of it, though. This is interesting. There's full, there are full cessationists. All miracles have ceased along with any miraculous gifts. So that's basically what a, a full cessationist says, that the belief that all miracles have ceased, God doesn't do miracles anymore, and God doesn't use any, have any miraculous gifts that he imparts through his people. All right? Then you have, though, consistent cessationists. They believe that miracle gifts, miraculous gifts have ceased, but so have the need for equipping gifts, such as Ephesians 4. So they're, they're, to be consistent, they say, not only is the miraculous, not only the spiritual gifts, but Ephesians 4 gifts, like leadership gifts, that aren't necessarily supernatural, miraculous, or, uh, you know, any, in any other way, um, uh, God doing something outside. They're not needed either. Those gifts are shut down. So God no longer has apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Classical cessationism, miraculous gifts ceased with the apostles, but God occasionally works in supernatural ways today. Most cessationists you would meet uh, in, a, in, a, in a local assembly would, would probably fall along this line. They would say all that tongue stuff and all of that, that died with the apostles, but God, you know, he still shows up and does some stuff. Not because of laying on of hands. No, no, no. He just heals people. So they'll pray for healing. They'll pray for restoration to people from sickness, etc. But they'll say, you know, God just does it whenever God wants because he is sovereign after all. Does everybody follow me? So most people you'd meet that are cessationists today would be in that camp. And then finally, there's what we call concentric cessationists. The miraculous gifts ceased in the mainstream church and evangelized areas, but still appear in unreached areas to aid in the spreading of the gospel. So they would say, you know what, we've got the scripture, we've got doctrine, we've got churches and institutions, we've, we've, we've basically got the things in place that we need, but in unreached parts of the world, God still shows up supernaturally and does miraculous things like he did in the New Testament, and so sometimes God does, does work that way. And so that's what they believe. Now, here's the thing. I don't embrace any of those views. Someone say, amen, other than Nikki, come on. I don't embrace any of those views. I am not a cessationist. I'm not, I'm not a full, consistent, classical, or concentric cessationist. I don't fall into that camp at all. So now, why is Pastor Kevin not a cessationist, and why you shouldn't be too? All right. First of all, why? Because of Scripture. That thing that was used to reject the supernatural, ha, that's the thing that convinces me of the supernatural. Someone say amen to that. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Everybody say all. all. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. Everybody say thoroughly. Thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture, not just the parts that you like, not the parts that you think were only for the New Testament, but all the scripture is Breathed by God, so every scripture, the ones that list gifts like 1 Corinthians 12 and talks about their operation in the church and all the rest of it, all of that 
is God breathed and he was given to us. By its own testimony, he says, it was given to us for profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction of righteousness that we may be equipped. All of it. So you can't just go cutting out the parts you don't like and setting them on a shelf. No, it's all for us. Right? It's all there for us. All right? What else does the scripture have to say? Now concerning spiritual gifts, Paul said, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, Paul's telling the church not himself, not the apostles that the cessationists say were the only ones who were to operate in the gifts, but he's going to the next generation. He's speaking to the, to, the, to the congregation of the church in Corinth, and he's saying to them, I don't want you guys to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. I want you to understand that they exist. I want you to be able to operate on them, in them. I want you to be able to use them. I want you to walk in them. Uh, why? Because he knew that the church needed the gifts of the Spirit to be able to have an impact in the world about them. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about it. I don't want you to walk around claiming that some things exist and others don't. No, 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 no. Everything is there for you just as it says in Scripture. 1 Peter 4.10, as our verse we mentioned, uh, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The gifts are to be used to minister to one another. To build one another up, to encourage one another. The scripture says that they're there for that purpose. Nowhere in the scripture will you find where it says that they're supposed to stop. They're supposed to stop. Nowhere. Uh, and finally, here's another one for you. Romans chapter 12, 6 to 8. Having then different uh, gifts differing according to the grace that is in, uh, given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, you know, again, telling us that, that the gifts are there to be used to encourage one another. I had a chat with a pastor once who was telling me that the gifts, he was a cessationist, and, and he said and he had a scripture that was going to just seal the deal for me. And I said, oh, okay, give it to me. He's a 1 Corinthians 13, baby. And I said, okay, what about 1 Corinthians 13? Well, you know, the love chapter. I said, yeah, I, I know it's the love chapter. He said, well, when he gets to the end of it, he says, you know, that where, you know, tongues shall be ceased, right? Prophecy will be no more, right? He says, right there. I said, yeah. And I said, so what makes you think that's now? He goes, well, it says when that which is perfect has come, then these things will no longer be. And I said, Help me out. So what is that which is perfect that you believe has come? And he picked up his Bible and he said, right here. We have this. Therefore, we don't need that. And I said, so that's what you get out of that verse. You think that this is talking about the Bible? And he goes, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. And I said, well, I said, can we keep on reading? Sure. So if you keep on reading, and uh, after it gets to that point, then it says, then... When the, which is perfect, has come, it says, then we shall uh, know him even as we are known. Then we shall see him face to face. Now we look through a glass darkly, but then we shall see him face to face. Then we'll know him even as we know. I said, are you telling me that you think the Bible gives us the ability uh, to fulfill that portion of the scripture? That we know him even as we are known? I said, and that we see him as face to face? No, I said, I disagree. I said, I don't think that's what that's talking about at all. I think that's talking about that at the end of the age, when we're all in glory, 
uh, where, where we're no longer going to need the scripture. We're not going to need any of that because we're in his presence permanently. Then at that point, prophecy will be no longer necessary. Miraculous signs will no longer be necessary because we're in his glory. Right? Then we will be walking and talking with him face to face. We'll know everything in our spirit. There is the need to know about him, and we'll know him even as we're known then. But the scripture doesn't bring us that. It does bring us great revelation, but that's, that's speaking about the end times. And if you read 1 Corinthians 13 in context, it's, it's wedged between 12 and 14. 12 introduces the gifts. 14 talks about the operation of the gifts, and he put 13 in the middle to make sure that we would do it in love. Not to tell us that they're going to be done away with, because he goes right into the next chapter to tell you how to use them. But use them in love. Right? Hallelujah. So I'm not a cessationist because of Scripture. I'm also not a cessationist, as I shared last week in my little video broadcast, because of personal experience. I have experienced and encountered God in so many supernatural ways in my life, that's, there are just too many to, to put a, a God back in a box in my spirit. When I came to Christ, I, I had uh, um, suffered for many years from uh, scoliosis. I had poor, uh, a really bad curvature of the spine. I had one leg that was this much shorter than the other. And the night that I gave my life to Christ, I knelt at the altar and I felt my back on fire. I'm just, I just went forward to give my life to Christ. And, you know, being raised Catholic, I thought everything that was spiritual had to be done in a building, in a church building. So I went to church to get it, to get it done, right? And I don't remember what the pastor preached on. I just ran to the front. I knelt down. And my f- back was on fire from the top to the bottom, just on fire, burning. And I thought everybody who gave their life to Christ felt like this. I just thought this is what it was like. And I thought this is pretty wild. And I'm like, my back's just burning. I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. And afterwards, someone said, what was that like? I said, that was the most incredible thing ever. It was amazing. I said, I was on fire, and yet I wasn't burned. It was like the, the burning bush, you know, on fire but not consumed. And this is what it was like. And they said, really? That happened? I said, yeah, it was weird. And, and I went to a doctor about a, a week or two later. I was to be outfitted with special shoes and stuff. And I said, I don't need them anymore. And he goes, why not? I said, because I don't have one leg longer than the other anymore. I don't have any of those problems anymore. I said, I've been healed. And he goes, yeah. And I said, dude, you check my back yourself. I said, it's, there's nothing wrong with this. So he says, bend over, he's checking my spine, doing all this stuff. And he goes, wow, that is amazing. He said, it must have corrected itself. <laughs> I said, well, in your experience, does that happen every week? No. My mom's like, well, shh, will you stop talking like that? She's embarrassed because I'm telling the guy that, you know, my back was healed. I said, it was God. So I went back to playing sports and doing all the stuff that I hadn't been able to do for four or five years because of God. It was awesome. Didn't even ask for it. Just bam. Right there, God shows up. A month after I'm saved, the pastor's preaching about the Holy Spirit, invites people to come up, and I come up to the front, and all of a sudden, man, I just say, God, you know, touch me. And I'm, I don't, I'm just hungry. So I'm, any, if God, he invites you up to pray, I'm there every, every time. Every time the altar is open, I'm just, because I want God. And uh, he could have told me, you know, paint your skin blue and, and uh, make a, an eternal commitment to the Toronto Maple Leafs in order to, to walk it. I probably went, you're right, and I'd have done it. Some of you think you already did that, didn't you? But, um, you know, but I was just so hungry, you know. So he invited forward. He said, if you'd like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was like, I'm there. I ran to the front, and I start speaking in tongues. didn't even know what it was. I was like, this is incredible. 
what am I going to use this for? You know, <laughs> talking to somebody afterwards and said, I mean, this is awesome. It's, it sounds kind of weird, but what am I going to use this for? So they're teaching me and walking me through it, you know. And then it just seemed like one thing after another. I could just tell stories all day long about the supernatural intervention of God. In the midst of the revival we had at the school in 1983, I think it was, um, you know, a bunch of us, myself, uh, uh, Sherry's brother-in-law, uh, Sherry's brother, my brother-in-law, but Sherry's brother, Kevin, and Norb Kohler, we went to the dean of students about midnight in the middle of the revival. We said, we just feel God's telling us to go and evangelize. And now we're supposed to be on campus at 11 o'clock, doors locked. And uh, he says, go. That's it. This, I can't explain everything happening this week, so you just, just go. The Holy Spirit had moved in. We would had to cancel uh, uh, classes. People were in the sanctuary praying and, and seeking the Lord all day, all kinds of awesome things happening. So uh, we, we, we left, and we were walking down street around midnight, and we get partway down, uh, what is it, uh, George Street, Water Street, one of them going down. And we're heading down that way, and there's this house having a frat party, I mean, from Trent University. It's just uh, music. It's just pounding. And we think, okay, this is where he wants to go, Lord. We walk up to the door. We bang on the door real hard. This guy opens the door. He is just completely wasted. And he says, what do you want? And I said, we're here to tell you about Jesus. I won't tell you what he said. And then he slammed the door in my face. And we're like, well, that didn't go really well. Maybe God wants us to go somewhere else. So we just keep walking down the street. And at this point, you're starting to think, maybe we didn't hear from God, Right? So we keep walking down the street, and we get to the donut shop down in the corner. I don't know if it's still there or not. But anyway, we go into the donut shop. As soon as we get in the door, her, her brother is sitting down. He, he sits down with this guy, and he's already abandoned us. We're, so Norb and I are standing at the counter. Uh, I guess we'll have a coffee. And then we look around. The only two other people in the store and are in the restaurant are these two girls sitting at the table. You know how this is probably going to look. So we thought, oh, well. So we grab the cups. We walk over and sit down with these two girls, and they... And they said, hi. We said, hi. Mind if we join? No, go ahead. So we sit down. And they were students at Trent, had just came from probably said party up the road. And uh, so we just sat down with them and we said, you know, we wanted to talk to you about what's happening in our lives uh, and what God is doing. And they said, pardon? And then we just began to tell them all about what Jesus was doing and all the awesome stuff that's happening. The, the one girl ha had some experience where she'd heard about the gospel before. She's weeping. Tears running down her face. The two of them came to, we invited them to church the next day. They both went up and gave their lives to Christ. I mean, it was an amazing thing. Amazing. Amen? The guy that, that, that Sherry's brother sat down with had just made the decision to leave his wife. Uh, he sat down with him, told him, don't do it. You know, God is a God of grace and mercy. Give it one more chance. And he phoned his wife up from a, he had to use a telephone booth back in those days, pre-cell phones, Okay. And he called her up, and she said, yes, yeah, she's going to take me back. And he left and went back and was reconciled with his wife. God does supernatural things today. Amen. Amen? Over and over and over again. We can't put them in a box and rule out the supernatural things of God. He still speaks. He still works. He still heals. He still restores. He does the supernatural, and he wants to do it through us. See, this is the difference. In the Old Testament, people experienced the miraculous when they went to the temple or they went to the tabernacle and they, they came into the contact with the, the, the manifest presence of God. But God 
rent the, the curtain, the temple, from the top to bottom. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out and cloven tongues of fire appeared over everybody. And God was saying, now I will dwell and I will work through the temples of men and women. God's plan now is to work through us. You might not think it's a great plan. It's certainly got its problems and its difficulties because we're not perfect. But it's God's plan. And he desires to work through each and every one of us. He wants to manifest his presence and his Holy Spirit through your life, through my life. And he wants to speak to people around us. And instead what we do is we get so caught up in such petty little things and Little, and I realize we still got to work. We got to, you know, we got to get an education. We got to go to school. We got to do all these things to engage our world in meaningful ways. But the things that we're doing become our obsession rather than the kingdom of God. And God says, I have so much I want to do through you. So much that I want to work through you. So many miraculous things that I want to release through you. Come to me. There's so much that we could do together together. So, what am I? I'm not a cessationist. Well, here's a fancy word for you, and, you're, and it's okay with me if you never use it again, all right? Just so you understand, I don't want you walking around telling everybody, hey, guess what I am, all right? So you have permission never to use this word again, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because it's, it's an interesting word. I'm a continuationist. Isn't that a great word? All right? You're like, what in the world is that? Continuationism is a Christian theological belief that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have continued. Everybody say continued. Continued to the present age, specifically those sometimes called sign gifts, such as tongues and prophecy. Continuationism is a distinct theological position arose in opposition to cessationism. People said, no, that's not right. God isn't finished. God's still working. God still does supernatural things. God still does miracles. God still uses his gifts. We're not going to be putting God in a box, and you're not going to put us in a box. Amen? And you need to know that throughout church history, there has always been a group of people that have been hungry for the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter if it, you go back to the beginnings of the church or the back to the beginnings in the 3rd and 4th century of the organization of the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church, that God has always had a people who are hungry for him. And, you can, and, and church history is filled with different groups of people who are hungry for a move of God. And every time people were hungry for a move of God, God showed up. Amen? And it's fascinating to read. Uh, you need to understand that, uh, you know, Anglican churches are, are, are not cessationist. The Lutheran church was not typically cessationist. Moravian church was not. Methodists were not. Many of them believe that God, have a doctrinal position that God still works and moves. They just haven't seen it in a while. You know, many, many friends that I know of, they take the position that, well, we, we, um, we don't reject it, but we don't bother to seek it. We just believe if God wants to do it, he'll do it. Right? But that's contrary to Scripture, too, as we're going to see over the next few weeks. Paul said to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire. He said, and especially that you would prophesy. Well, that's quite a statement, isn't it? I mean, and especially that you would what, Barry? Prophesy. Prophesy. That works, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, my goodness. 
you know, it's going to be an awesome journey as you see all of the indications in Scripture that we are to continue to be a people who walk in his spiritual giftings. <clears throat> a continuous, continuationist will argue, and I argue, that there is no reason to hold that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. Regardless of whether you believe that they should be expected in the modern church or not, there is no doctrinal position or reason why you would believe that they have ceased. Now, I want to give a couple caveats as we close this morning. First of all, first caveat. There are many faithful, devout, God-fearing brothers and sisters who are cessationists. And some of them are my very good friends. And I love to debate this with them, and I talk it over with them, and we have incredibly wonderful conversations, and they love Jesus. They love Jesus. Does everybody hear that? Everybody say, they love Jesus. They love Jesus. I just think they're walking under a limiting mindset, but they love Jesus. And we have wonderful conversations, all right? Secondly, I am not more loved or more valuable Christian because I believe in and operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, you guys remember when we did the chairs up on the platform, we talked about, uh, you know, the difference between our, our value to God and our usefulness to God, right? That... That, you know, if, if you have two children and one is, one is, is, is uh, gifted in, in things that are very useful and helpful to you and, and, the, and other things which are not necessarily useful and helpful to you, maybe even has health issues or restrictions on their abilities, does that make them less valuable to you? No, their value is rooted in their identity as a child of God. And their value is not diminished by what they can or cannot do. They're still valuable because they're a child given to you by God and you love them. So you have to understand that a person's value is not diminished because they don't believe in or embrace the, the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. God loves them and their value is as rich as anybody else. But this isn't about value, this is about usefulness. God gave us the gifts so that we could minister them to one another. So that we could build one another, we could encourage, we could evangelize, we could operate with the gifts and literally change our world for the glory of God. Amen? So this isn't about value. This is about uh, valuable. This is about being useful. We want to operate in spiritual gifts. Not for bragging rights or for pride or position. We want to operate in spiritual gifts because we love people. Everybody say that. We love people. And the gifts will make us more useful in ministering to them. That's why. Amen? Amen? The gifts of the Spirit are there to make us more useful in ministering to other people. And we need to begin to expect God to use us in them. Not in a weird way, in a wonderful way. Some people, as soon as they start talking with spiritual gifts, they get weird. You don't have to get weird, but it is wonderful. And sometimes wonderful looks a little weird. But most of the times, it's just wonderful. Right? It's just wonderful. Let's stand together this morning. Hallelujah. How many are ready for God to do some wonderful things in your life? Amen? You're ready for God to do some wonderful things in your life. You're hungry for the Lord to express himself through you. And how many are a little bit, a little bit nervous? Put your hands up. Be honest. A little bit nervous. That's okay. 
That's good. That's good. A couple things. The Holy Spirit, one of the, the, the names of the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself attached to Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to go, and who am I going to send in my place? What's the name he used? The Comforter. Does that sound like somebody you need to be nervous about? No. The Comforter is going to come. The Comforter. The Holy Spirit is a, a first and foremost above everything, one who brings us comfort, brings us peace. Not comfort in that we rest and we're at ease and we never do anything. Comfort in that we could be in the middle of the storm and we're still at peace. The Comforter has come. Holy Spirit comes as one who's going to give us peace. And he brings peace. And in the midst of peace, from that position of rest, from that position of comfort uh, in him, rest in him, we're able to be used by the Holy Spirit. We're able to be used by Holy Spirit. There are so many wonderful ways in which God wants to use his people. And the beautiful thing about the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts that we're going to talk about is that you as a Christian can operate in any one of those nine gifts at any time. Unlike the Romans 12 gifts, which, we're about, which are about what's hardwired into our DNA by God, the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts, which are, reside in the Holy Spirit, as Paul concludes chapter 12, he says, and the Holy Spirit gives them to any, or administers them to any as he sees fit, as he determines. So here's the beautiful thing about it. You know, uh, any one of those gifts can be used in and through your own life. You can look and read through them. Read 1 Corinthians 12 this week. Spend some time in that scripture. Go over that passage. Uh, don't leap ahead to chapter 14. Well, you can, but, but we're, it'll take us a couple weeks to get there. Uh, we're going to start with, with chapter 12. Uh, but you need to read that. You need to spend some time in that word. And you need to read about the gifts that are available to each and every one of us. To be able to operate in. You know, you could leave here today and God might need to give you a word of, of wisdom or a word of knowledge about somebody. And you, might, and you need to know what the difference is. You need to know when God's speaking to you about that. You might receive a, uh, you know, God might speak to you and, and you might have uh, a, a gift of healing come over you and you'll be in the grocery store and somebody, you'll see somebody in front of you and you'll sense that gift coming over you, the Holy Spirit that, that, coming over and you're going to ask that person if you can pray for them and they're going to be healed right in the grocery store. That's what God can do. I'd like to give a, a word of wisdom right now. I believe these next two and a half months in your life, this is for the kingdom. The next two and a half months, you're going to be able to take back everything that the enemy has stolen from you. There are things in your life, inheritances, there are things that the enemy has stopped up. There is a greater grace that is upon the planet right now to take back what the enemy has stolen. And there's angelic realm that are waiting for your voice activation and begin to decree and declare the word of the Lord over your lives. And you will see God begin to break through and bring back the things that have been robbed from you because he's trying to set you up for, the, for takeover. We are, the, the spirit of God is coming upon this planet that we have not yet seen. And I won't get into that, but re, these next two and a half months, the first three months of this year, there is an ability and a grace to receive, to take over and take back what the enemy has stolen. Amen. Amen. 
And uh, may I just add to that that I think nowhere has the enemy stolen from the church more than in stealing our potential because we believe that he doesn't want to use us anymore. If we'll step out, we'll step out in it. God is going to open up doors for victory here, 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 here. Things are going to come back to the body of Christ like we've never seen before. You know, you might be saying, I knew so-and-so, they used to come to church. God might be setting you up right now to have a word for that person to go back that's going to shift them in their track. And they'll be back in the kingdom of God. You just need to realize that God is setting us up for that kind of success. Amen? All right, come on, everybody. Just hold your hands out like this to the Lord. We're here to receive this morning. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we receive from you. Say, I receive. I receive. I receive. What you want to give to me. I receive what you want to give to me. I receive your Holy Spirit. I receive your gifts. I receive the work of Holy Spirit. In and through my life to minister to others. I expect. I expect great things to come. Through my life, life, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Spirit. I make this confession confession and this declaration declaration. today, 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 based on the Word of God God, and my own experience in Holy Spirit, Spirit, that you are a supernatural God God, and you love to work through your children. children. In Jesus' name, name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Get ready. God is about to do some great things. Amen. Um, before we go this morning, I just want I feel like God has asked me just to open these altars up. There are some of you that, that, that you need, as we go into this, you just need to have some fear broke off. You need to have, uh, open yourself to what God wants to do and you just need fear broke off. Others, you're like, I've been stagnant and dry for a long time. I need prayer this morning. I don't want to necessarily have to drag it out, but I just really feel I'd like to agree with you in prayer. Some of you say, no, I just want all God wants, and I want you to pray that God gives me everything that I need. We want to agree with you in prayer this morning. That's what we're here for. So as, as you go, if you'd like to receive prayer this morning, come on up and see us. We'd love to pray with you and agree with you right now so that God could work in your life to the fullest in the coming weeks in Jesus' name. Father, bless you. Bless you, bless you. Have an amazing week in him. Amen.